to see you, Purpose Church. So glad to be with you, uh, whether you're sitting in your living room or listening to this later on in your car or on your computer. It's so good to be together. And I just want to thank you for your faithfulness during uh, COVID. You know, Pastor Shamran Barron, who's our global impact pastor, the other day was telling me about the Hope for Home homeless shelter here in Pomona. And when they first opened, they asked for uh, churches and community members to help provide food on certain days, especially the weekends. So we've been doing that as a church on a regular basis. Now, during COVID, we had to skip one month during the initial shutdown when the shelter itself was under lockdown. But the rest of the time during COVID, the last uh, 14, 15 months or 16, whatever it's been by now, the rest of the time we continued to provide meals for the residents and for the staff of the shelter. And the staff recently told Pastor Sham that the people of Purpose Church were the only ones that did not stop providing the meals to the shelter during COVID. And how appreciative they were that we were the ones that continued where everybody else was unable to continue it. And I want to thank you for that and your faithfulness. You made that possible. And throughout COVID, we continue to deliver hot meals to uh, seniors at a senior living complex and to families at a mobile uh, home park. Our clothing ministry has been open uh, on and off uh, during the pandemic to help the homeless community who need clothing items, uh, clean clothing items. And so we've been open steadily uh, since February and the list of, of ministries that you support uh, here through your support and your prayers and your involvement and your giving at Purpose Church, the list just goes on and on. And you are the ones uh, that made that possible by serving and giving. And I just absolutely praise God for you. Now, we're going to continue our summer series called Flipped. And today we come to Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 through 42. And the question here is how to respond to difficult people. Jesus is going to talk to us about how to respond uh, to difficult people. And, and forgive me, I've just got so, there's so many good quotes about the subject of revenge and, and difficult people. I just got a bunch of them here I want to share with you that I just love. Uh, Bo Bennett says, if you want plenty of experience in dealing with difficult people, then have kids. Uh, uh, Bob Goff, love difficult people because you are one of them. Uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., he who is devoid of the power to forgive is devoid of the power to love. There's a famous one by Mahatma Gandhi, an eye for an eye will only make the whole world blind. And uh, from antiquity, Marcus Aurelius said, the best revenge is to be unlike him who performed the injury. Uh, Francis Bacon said, in taking revenge, a man is but even with his enemy, but in passing it over, he is superior. And then Emily Van Camp said, oddly enough, I think that everybody can relate to revenge on some level. Everyone has wanted to exact it at some point, and everybody has tampered with the idea, even if they didn't actually go through with it. And then uh, from the great works of literature, we find from the very beginning, revenge is a theme. Beowulf, uh, one of the oldest and best known English epic poems, it said, it is always better to avenge dear ones than to indulge in mourning. 
And then the famous words of Captain Ahab uh, to the whale in Moby Dick. To the last I grapple with thee. From hell's heart I stab at thee. For hate's sake I spit my last breath at thee. And then the most famous revenge line of all. My name is Inigo Bontoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Well, there's a, there's a lot of themes in a lot of literature and a lot of life uh, about the theme of uh, revenge. And uh, the typical or the non-flipped, the status quo response uh, Jesus talks about in Matthew 5, verse 38. You have heard that it was said, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. Uh, Jesus just expressed all the, the common language, uh, the common status quo, the non-flipped life of, of getting revenge, getting even. You've heard that it was said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. So Jesus is going to share uh, three principles with us here in the Sermon on the Mount. Number one, expect to encounter difficult people. Expect to encounter difficult people. Bishop Sandy Millar uh, is just a very cool guy. Joint Anglican bishop in both England and in Uganda. And he wrote The Devil's Beatitudes. Uh, they go like this. Blessed are those Christians who wait to be asked and expect to be thanked. I can use them. Uh, blessed are the touchy. With a bit of luck, they may stop going to church altogether. They are my missionaries. Devil's Beatitudes. Blessed are the troublemakers. They shall be called my children. Uh, blessed are the gossipers, for they are my secret agents. Uh, blessed are the complainers. I'm all ears for them. Uh, blessed uh, are you when you read this and think it is all about other people and not yourself. I've got you right where I want you to be. And so Jesus, first of all, says, expect to encounter those who are rude, insulting, and even abusive, uh, which leads, of course, to a loss of our pride. Uh, Matthew 5, verse 39, Jesus continues in the Sermon on the Mount. And here's the code word for the flipped life. He says, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. That's the non-flipped life. That's the status quo. That's the ordinary response. But I tell you, but I tell you, that's where he flips everything upside down. Do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. Now, according to Jewish rabbinic law, a backhanded slap on the right cheek was twice as insulting as one with the flat of the hand uh, from the left. So to slap somebody like this was much more insulting than to slap somebody uh, like this. Even today in the Middle East, a slap in the face is regarded as a particularly insulting uh, assault, a gesture of extreme abuse, uh, showing the greatest uh, possible uh, contempt for someone. Uh, this happened to Jesus in his trial uh, before the Sanhedrin. We read about that in the Bible. Uh, next, Jesus said, expect to encounter those who persecute or even prosecute you, which will lead to your loss of possessions. He says in verse 40, if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. Now losing a shirt, which was the inner garment, would not make you as desperate because even a poor person back then would have had more than one shirt. 
But he says to proceed then to hand over your coat as well. Now, a coat was much more valuable and uh, much more essential. Uh, Most people only had one coat. And they would use it for a robe during the day and they would use it for a blanket at night. That's why it says in Exodus 22, verse 26, if you take your neighbor's cloak as a pledge, be sure to return it by sunset because that cloak is the only covering your neighbor has. What else can they sleep in? When they cry out to me, I will hear for I am compassionate. Also, uh, Moses instructed the nation of Israel in Deuteronomy 24, verse 13, Return their cloak by sunset so that your neighbor may sleep in it. Then they will thank you and it will be regarded as a righteous act in the sight of the Lord your God. Uh, You know, there's just uh, such an unbelievable story I came across uh, just recently about um, a a staff member uh, who was a Christian in a university in Malaysia. And there was this one member of the staff who was a Christian from a Chinese background. This man had been praying for years that the gospel would be preached at his university. Um, And uh, a famous anti-Christian lecturer had come to speak at the school. In an auditorium of over 2,000 people, this man was the only Christian. The anti-Christian lecturer called him out as a staff member in front of all of his students and said, you're a Christian. I want you to come up on stage. So he came forward and he stood on the stage. The lecturer then slapped him around the face really hard. Then he said, I'm waiting. What does your Jesus tell you to do? So our friend did what Jesus told him to do and turned the other cheek. The lecturer slapped him across the head again. Remember, this is in a shame culture. This was the teacher of many of the students, and they were totally shocked. The lecturer then went on to say, look at the weakness of Christians. Christianity is founded on weakness. Then he said, give me your coat. So the man took off his coat and handed it over. He said, I'm waiting. What does your Jesus tell you to do now? Standing before an audience of thousands, many of them his students, this man said, I just want to say to all of you who are my students, I don't want you to be embarrassed because of me, so you may want to close your eyes at this moment. Then he took off all of his clothes and he gave them to the man. And he walked out, tears pouring down his face, completely humiliated. The next day, an amazing thing happened. One after another of his students came into his study and said how ashamed they were about what had happened. They asked him to tell them more about Jesus. As a result, he received many letters and was able to talk freely about his faith with hundreds of his his students. And Jesus, that's how he shakes up the status quo. That's how he, he changes things that just go on ordinarily. Uh, an act of vengeance followed by revenge, followed by another act of revenge, followed by another act of revenge. And Jesus said it's not supposed to be uh, that way with us. We're supposed to have the courage to change the dynamic. Um, another thing that Jesus said is expect to encounter those who take advantage of us, uh, leading to loss of time. Uh, Verse 41, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Now the Romans, as an occupying uh, force, could tap the shoulder of any person they came across uh, in the nation of Israel and make them carry their baggage for a Roman mile. A Roman mile was about a thousand paces just uh, under uh, a mile. 
Uh, that's what happened to Simon of Cyrene in the crucifixion of Jesus. Matthew 27, verse 32. As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. Now, you can just imagine the resentment that this would cause uh, among the people, in, the Jewish people in Israel. But Jesus said not to respond with a vengeful attitude, but to offer to do even more. I mean, can you imagine with that Roman soldier, when he gets to the end of the mile, and, and the follower of Christ says, no, I'll take it a second mile, voluntarily. Um, um, can you imagine the response uh, that that would have, uh, what questions it would raise, what, what, what a kind of uh, flipped upside down response. They would think that you had flipped and they would be exactly right. Uh, Jesus also said, expect those to encounter those who are takers, which will lead to a loss of money. He says in verse 42, give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Now we're supposed to be wise in our giving, uh, but we're supposed to err on the side of generosity because as one of our uh, basic core values here at Purpose Church, uh, generous people transform the world. And you see this even in the Old Testament. Uh, Moses uh, gave in Deuteronomy 15 verses 7 and 8. If anyone is poor among your fellow Israelites in any of the towns of the land the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward them. Rather be open-handed and freely lend them whatever they need. And then skipping to verse 10. Give generously to them and do not do so without a grudging heart. Then because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything that you put your hand to. And so we are supposed to be um, open and, 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 and generous and, and, and caring uh, for people. He goes on in the next verse uh, to say, there will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed towards your fellow Israelites who are poor and needy uh, within your land. Uh, and then the second principle that Jesus is going to share is to rise above taking revenge. Uh, what Jesus recited there in the first verse, back in verse 38, it's called the lex talionis, which means the law of retaliation. Uh, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. It's the oldest law in the world. It basically means tit for tat. Uh, I do to you what you did to me. We first find it in 1800 BC from the law code of the Babylonian king named Hammurabi. And in the code of Hammurabi, it makes a distinction between punishments for the rich and punishments for the poor. But in the Old Testament, it has the same punishment regardless of how much money you have. Uh, the Lex Talionis is, is quoted three times in the Old Testament. First of all, in Exodus, then Leviticus. Later, we'll look at it in Deuteronomy. Exodus uh, 21, 23. But if there's a serious injury, you are to take life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. And then in Leviticus 24, verse 19, anyone who injures their neighbor is to be injured in the same manner. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, the one who has inflicted the injury must suffer the same injury. Now, this sounds harsh, but there are four guidelines in the Old Testament for applying the lex talionis. Uh, first of all, it was intended to be a law of mercy. 
that meant the natural response, uh, if, if you punch me, my natural human response is to punch you twice as hard. And so actually the lex talionis was not meant um, to promote violence, but to limit violence. It was meant for the punishment to fit the crime. It meant to stop escalating revenge and unlimited uh, blood feuds, which are so common down through history and even today. Uh, I hit you on the nose, and so you cut off my hand. I kill you, so your brother kills me and my entire family. I mean, is that like the history of the world and conflict in the world uh, down through all the ages? A second thing about the Lex Talionis it was intended for judges and not for private individuals. It was basically a sentencing guide uh, for judges, Deuteronomy 19. The judges must make a thorough investigation. If the witness proves to be a liar, giving false testimony against a fellow Israelites, then due to the false witness, as that witness intended to do to the other party, you must purge the evil from among you. The rest of the people will hear of this and be afraid, and never again will such an evil thing be done among you. Show no pity, life for life. Here it is, the third instance in the Old Testament. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, uh, foot for foot. And so it was meant to limit violence. Uh, secondly, it was not for personal vengeance, but instead it was kind of like for sentencing guidelines uh, for uh, the judges. Um, next thing, it was almost certainly never taken literally. They literally wouldn't cut off a person's hand or burn a person or, or break a, a leg or something like that. It wasn't done literally, except in capital offenses. Uh, they did have death penalty in uh, Old Testament Israel, life for life. If somebody murdered somebody, they did pay with their life. But in the others, the penalties were generally replaced by financial fines and damages. I mean, it was very similar to our legal system today where you give financial payment uh, damages uh, for things like injury, pain, and suffering, medical expenses, and a loss of, of wages. And then uh, a final thing to remember about the Lex Talionis in the Old Testament is this is not the whole picture. They were still encouraged to show mercy. The Lex Talionis was meant to limit revenge, but even then they were they were encouraged not to even take it, it, revenge, even in the Old Testament. This, this is not just in the New Testament as followers of Jesus, but we find hints of Jesus even here in the Old Testament. Leviticus 19, verse 18. Do not seek revenge or bear grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And then Proverbs 24, verse 29. Do not say, I'll do to them as they have done to me. I will pay them back for what they did. So even here in the Old Testament, we see that the ideal was not to uh, do an eye for an eye, but instead to have mercy. Um, so from the beginning, it was God's will that no human being should take revenge. But here's the problem. By the time of Jesus, the Old Testament law was being manipulated and used to justify personal vendettas, uh, vengeance, malice, uh, and hatred. And so again, Jesus steps in and flips the status quo. Uh, we're not to get even, nor are we to stand by passively. Now there's nothing passive about the illustrations that Jesus gives us as to, as to what to do here. We're to act in a way that changes the dy dynamic of the encounter. 
uh, when he says, turn the other cheek, uh, this is not surrender. It is active engagement to take charge and to overcome evil with good, just like that teacher did in that university in Malaysia. Uh, don't just let him sue you, but take the initiative. Hand over your coat as well. Uh, turn the table and go two miles. Uh, the oppressor can only force you to go one mile. When you volunteer to go one more mile, you show that you are not under his orders. Uh, you are under his orders. You had to do the first mile, but when you volunteer to go the second mile, you show that you are under God's orders. You are under his authority and not over the person that is oppressing you in that particular situation. And then change the dynamics. And of course, this takes courage. John Stott writes, we are not supposed to be a doormat. Rather, a strong person whose control of themselves and love for others are so powerful that they reject absolutely every conceivable form of retaliation. And then number three, we are to act with an attitude of radical love. Now, there's nothing wrong with standing up for the truth. Um, uh, Jesus took a whip of cords and drove out the money changers from the temple. Um, Jesus stood up to the hypocrisy of the scribes and Pharisees. Matthew chapter 23, he, he verbally assaulted them. Um, uh, he, he stood up for the truth. He, he fought against hypocrisy during his trial. Uh, when he was slapped, he demanded a legal explanation when he was struck by an official of the high priest. And there's nothing wrong with using the legal system to protect your rights. We see this with Paul. It's, it's almost comical how Paul loved to pull out his Roman citizenship. And sometimes he didn't get a chance to do it until after they had done something bad to him. And you should have, just read the context of these verses I want to share with you right now. They were scared to death. Uh, the Bible says they were alarmed uh, when they realized that they had done something to a Roman citizen. I mean, Paul, Paul was getting himself in all kinds of messes. Uh, and, and so they never occurred to them that he might be part of, uh, of, of, of this uh, Roman citizen and, and kind of elite and, and privileged and kind of up on a mountaintop and out of the messiness of the world. So when Paul got himself caught into, into getting into the, into the dirt and, 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 and wrestling uh, for the gospel, and then lo and behold, he turned out to be a Roman uh, citizen, it just, it just took him complete by surprise and it scared him to death because they assumed certain things about him, did terrible things to him, and then found out he was a Roman citizen. Now, Acts 16, verse 37. But Paul said to the officers, they beat us publicly without a trial, even though we are Roman citizens. And they threw us into prison. And now do they want to get rid of us quietly? No, let them come themselves and escort us out. And the next verse says that, that they were alarmed when they realized what they had done to him as a Roman citizen. And all the city leaders came out and, and pleaded with him to go quietly out, out of the town. It, it, it's almost comical if you read uh, the rest of the story there. The uh, same thing is true in Acts 22, verse 25. Now, sometimes Paul either didn't get a chance to reveal his Roman citizenship, or maybe he just kind of held off on saying it until after they had done something uh, terrible to him. So that, that, that may have been uh, the case. But on this particular day, he had just had a bad day. He had had enough. 
He was about to get beaten, and so he said, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pull out my Roman citizen card before I get beaten here today. As they stretched him out to flog him, Paul turns to the centurion standing there, just kind of casually turns to him as he's about to be stretched out to be beaten, and says, is it legal for you to flog a Roman citizen who hasn't even been found guilty? And if, if you read, you want to read the rest of the story there, it's funny. It says they all backed out of the room. <laughs> they, they all just, they realized they had put a Roman citizen in chains. Paul mentions that fact, and they all just kind of back away. Nobody wants to be associated with doing that. Now, Paul in his teaching makes a clear distinction between the dealings of the government or the state and personal morality. He says in Romans 13, verse 4, For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath, to bring punishment to the wrongdoer. Nikki Gumbel writes, Our duty as citizens may also involve us in the use of force to restrain evil people. A Christian soldier may need to kill in the course of military action. A Christian police officer may be required to use force in performing his or her duty. A Christian judge may be required to send people to prison. All of us as Christian citizens may be required to use force to restrain evil and to protect others. If we see a child being attacked and abused, we are not to stand by idly. The principle of love requires us to interfere with force if necessary. And so, of course, Jesus calls on us to be wise and, and, to, and to even use the, the system at our hand, the legal system at our hand, uh, to, to bring about justice for ourselves and, and for, for others. But in our personal lives, uh, the flipped life that Jesus called us uh, to live is to go the extra, extra mile. Uh, there are these provisions in other areas of life, but in, but, in, but in our personal relationships, he calls us to live the flipped life. He calls us to turn the other cheek. He calls on us to go the extra mile. Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Jesus says that we are to live such lives, and wow, in, in our, just coming out of this COVID year, and all the dissension, and all the disunity, and all the uh, offense, one person says something on social media and then somebody says the opposite, harsher, and then it goes back to the other person, even harsher, and, and back and forth it goes. And Jesus has called on Christ's followers as he stepped into culture and flipped uh, the tables. Uh, we are to call to come in and, and, and flip the narrative, to change the dynamic that's what we're to do as followers of him. Do not be overcome by evil. That's what this part of the Sermon on the Mount, this is what it says. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Dietrich Bonhoeffer uh, writes, 
it looked as though evil had triumphed on the cross. But the real victory belonged to Jesus. The cross is the only power in the world which proves that suffering love can avenge and vanquish evil. The cross of Jesus is the only power in the world which proves that suffering love can avenge and can vanquish uh, evil. Um, June 12th, 1972, uh, front page of the Washington Post. Um, I don't want to show you the picture because uh, it, it's just so horrific. Um, but it became one of the major images of the Vietnam War. And it was, a, uh, if you remember the picture from that era, or maybe you want to Google it to, to see it on your own, but it's a, it's a young girl with her arms, her arms outstretched, running towards the camera. And um, because of a napalm attack, her clothes have been burned off. Uh, her skin is blackened by napalm. And with her arms outstretched, she is screaming in pain. And this became one of the searing images of, of, that, um, of, that, of that time period. Her name was Kim Fook. And years later, uh, after like 14 surgeries and, and 17 months and all kinds of terrible um, surgeries for, for her burns, um, years went by and she read the New Testament about Jesus for the first time in a local library. That's how she encountered it. She was just in a library, said, I've always wanted to read the New Testament. I wonder what it's about. She reads it, and she becomes a Christian. She commits her life to Christ, becomes a follower of Jesus. And she later wrote, it was the fire of the bomb that burned my body, and it was the skill of the doctor that mended my skin. But it took the power of God to heal my heart. She eventually married a fellow medical student. Uh, they were medical school together, and they moved to Canada in 1992. And in 1996, she was asked to speak at a Veterans Day ceremony in Washington, D.C. And on that Veterans Day, in, with all the great uh, generals and, and military leaders with her on the platform, and a sea of all kinds of veterans in front of her, a sea of uniforms, she said these words, I have suffered a lot from both physical and emotional pain. Sometimes I thought I could not live, but God saved my life and gave me faith and hope. Even if I could talk face to face with the pilot who dropped the bomb, I would tell him we cannot change history but we should try to do good things for the present and for the future in order to promote peace. And, and a, a sea of hundreds, if not thousands of veterans sprung to their feet, rose to their feet with thunderous applause. And one man in the crowd, overcome with emotion, rushed to um, a policeman, a patrolman that was there, and scribbled out a note asking him to deliver it um, uh, to uh, deliver it uh, to Kim Fook. And so he delivered it to it, and on the note was scribbled, I'm the man you are looking for. He was the pilot that had dropped the bomb accidentally. It was, it was an errant bomb. It was intended for one area, and it had, it had gone off into a civilian uh, area. 
And he was the pilot, though, that had piloted that plane. He said, I'm the man you're looking for. And so intermediaries asked if she was willing to see him, and she said, absolutely. And they brought the man over to her car, and Kim held out the same arms that in that, that picture um, years before had been held out in pain. She took those same arms and wrapped those arms around him and hugged the man as he began to sob, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. And Kim Fook said, it's okay, I forgive you. And then quoted her favorite Bible verse, Luke 6, 37, forgive and you will be forgiven. Um, the words of Jesus, that's the flipped life that only Jesus can bring. Only Jesus can, can take the heart of a young girl who had been scarred in such ways and gone through so much pain and soften that heart until she wraps her arms uh, around this man and says, I forgive you because Jesus has forgiven me. And that's the flipped life that only Jesus, only Jesus can bring. I know we shared it last week um, uh, here. Uh, for those of you that are online, if you are watching online, you know that we shared uh, the same song by Darnell Abraham, part of our church family. Interesting tidbit, uh, he plays George Washington in the hit uh, theatrical production of Hamilton. Uh, our very own Darnell is George Washington. And, and I just thought to myself that that's, even though we did it last Sunday, I just wanted to share it again this week. Christ be magnified. Christ be magnified. Jesus is the one that stepped into the world 2,000 years ago and he flipped everything. He changed everything. Jesus is the one that can step into our moment in time and can flip everything up, upside down. He can change everything. And if you've never committed your heart to Jesus, just simply call out to him three simple words, sorry, uh, thanks, and please. God, I'm sorry for the wrongdoing in my life. Oh, Lord, I'm sorry. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross so that I could be forgiven and I could be made right with you, reconciled with you. And then please come into my heart. Be my Savior. Forgive me. And show me how I can follow you in this brand new way of life, this, this totally different, counter-revolutionary, counter-cultural, the way of Jesus Christ that changes everything. Christ be magnified. Christ be magnified. Christ be magnified. Creation suddenly articulate with a thousand tongues to lift one cry from north to south and east to west. We dear Christ be magnified. 
were the whole earth echoing his eminence, his name would burst from sea and sky, from rivers to the mountaintops, we'd hear Christ be magnified. Oh, Christ be magnified. Let his praise arise. Christ be magnified in me. Oh, Christ be magnified from the altar of my life. Christ be magnified in me. Yeah. When every creature finds its inmost melody, and every human heart is made to cry, woven in one in raptured We'll see Christ be magnified. Oh, Christ be magnified. Let his praise arise. Christ be magnified in me. Oh, Christ be magnified from the altar of my life, Christ be magnified.